I appreciate the introduction earlier, and you're probably wondering what someone of my age is doing as a candidate under the care of the presbytery. Not that I'm old, but I'm not just out of college. So um, I'm on my second career path that the Lord has set me on about 10 years ago when he called me to the ministry, and uh, my wife Tina is sitting up front here, and we accepted the call reluctantly, let me say, and that story I can share with you some other time if you're interested to hear it. But it brings me here this, uh, this morning because uh, Pastor Tui and I met at the recent ministerial committee meeting, and he asked if I would come and fill in while he was enjoying himself at Walt Disney World. And so we're happy to have him back, and I'm happy to be up here uh, to deliver this message this morning. So if you'll please take a moment and pray with me. Father God, we just lift up this time to you. May you calm our restless hearts and spirits. May you enable us to continue to worship you this morning with our minds. May we be attentive and listening. May the word transform us in ways that maybe we have not expected. In his name we pray, amen. So I picked this, uh, this topic this morning, Love is a Noun. I don't know if any of y'all uh, have heard of uh, this uh, Christian band called DC Talk. Anybody know them? You probably know Toby Mack. He's like, I think, is like the Justin Timberlake of Christian music right now. Uh, very popular, very thrilling to watch in concert. And he was just here in Pittsburgh recently. Um, and the, but back in the day, like in the early 90s, there, DC Talk had a song called Love is a Verb. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that song or anybody heard it. Um, it was very catchy, um, and so it made me think, uh, since that time, I think, is love really a verb? Uh, and we use that a lot as a verb, and I thought, and there's another, uh, not that it means anything, but a, a recent uh, popular artist named John Mayer, you may have heard of him, he actually has a song also called Love as a Verb. So it's, it's kind of uh, permeates society that we think of as love as something that we do. And hopefully that uh, by, the, by the end of this little message, that you may have a different kind of approach to that. Not that love isn't something that we do, but I want to put forth that love is something that that we are. It's not something that we specifically do. And with that in mind, I want to bring us to the book of 1 John chapter 4. Now, we all know that this is the John that wrote the Gospel of John, probably considered the closest friend of Jesus. And I look at the Gospel of John as John's testimony to us about who Jesus was, the Son of God, all the miracles that Jesus performed, the signs that he performed, because he was close to Jesus all the time. And I look at 1 John as a testimony to us as to how we should be as Christians. John saw Jesus. He knows what Jesus was like. Personally, And now I think he's sharing with us, having known who Jesus is, this is who we should be as Christians in the letter of 1 John. John wrote this towards the end of the first century A.D., and he was writing it to churches generally throughout what we call Asia Minor, which is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. So it's not a specific letter like some of Paul's letters that were to specific churches. This was to generally the churches in Asia Minor, which is now known as Turkey. So let's read together chapter 4 of 1 John, 
verses 7 through 21. I want you to listen in here for words such as love and abide. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but sometimes when I read John's writings, particularly in his letters, um, he seems to repeat himself a lot, a lot of words over and over from different directions. And, and one commentator said that John is like a, a shiny diamond when he describes things. He describes it like when you're rotating a diamond from many different perspectives. So that's why we see the way that John writes sometimes can seem uh, repetitive to us. But um, hopefully we can uh, sort some of that out this morning. And hopefully you will have in your bulletin one of these outlines um, that we can follow through. And feel free to take notes. I encourage you to have this letter open to you this morning. And uh, we're going to walk through it together and see if we can, um, can break this down a little bit. So this passage has kind of three different um, sections. The first section is verses 7 through 12, which I would think of as foundational truth. This is truth that God is sharing with us about God and about love. And then section two is in verses 13 through 16, where John is sharing with us, because of these foundational truths, we know these things. And then the third section in verses 17 through 21 are things that should be evident or manifest in our lives because of this truth that has been given to us. One commentator once wrote that John believes, and I, I believe in his, in his writing about this, is that what we do and what we say or who we are form a unity. There's no separation between what we do and what we say and who we are. These all things kind of come together. Um, and I think this speaks to uh, the truth that we hear in this passage. Let's look at the first kind of few verses, verses 7 and 8 in uh, in this passage. It's saying here that love is a quality of God. Um, and it says God is love. And we were talking about that in this morning during the, the children's message. And I want to put forth to you that, that this statement itself defines 
love being a noun. God is love. It doesn't say anything about an activity of God, but what it says is that God's, all of God's activities are loving activities. God is not just, love is just not something that God does once or does as a single action, but all of his activities are what we call loving activities. And I want to stretch this out a little bit by looking at two different passages. The first one is in Galatians chapter, and then the bottom where I had the other verses to consider, uh, it should be Galatians 5.22, not Galatians 6.22. And everybody's familiar with this passage, I believe. It's the, fruits of, the fruit of the Spirit passage. And the first three fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace. Okay? Then the other ones, I'm not going to quiz you, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we kind of break this down into three sections sometimes. The first three things, love, joy, and peace, are things that sometimes seem a little abstract to us, but are also nouns, and they're things that we receive from God. We receive from God in our relationship with God in our lives. We receive love, we receive joy, and we receive peace. And that enables us to act in the other ways that the fruit or spirit are defined. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I think that this, this word love is sometimes confusing to us because it does seem a little abstract. We use it in different ways. We use it, use it as a verb, and we use it as a noun, and we use it in ways, like we mentioned this morning in the children's sermon, that we use it like, I love pizza. <laughs> you know. So we use this word in a way. And I think this is really a keen insight. Y'all have read probably uh, C.S. Lewis, um, the screw tape letters. At least you've probably heard of it. Um, screw tape letters. One of the things that C.S. Lewis says in that, um, with the uh, with screw tape, is talking to Wormwood, the underlying underlying demon that he's working with, that interfaces with us. He says one of the ways that you can help um, the demon's cause, the enemy's cause against humanity, is to confuse the words that are important to God. I would say love is probably of the utmost importance to us as Christians. And I would say it probably lists on the top of things that we kind of don't completely understand about what it means and how we should act that way and what it means to our lives. Now, the other one, I'm not going to belabor the point too much, is the word in Greek, and I know you've heard this, is agape, right? Agape. We all know that word. That means self-sacrificial love. It means all-encompassing, all-abiding love. And it's not some of the other words. There are, four, there are actually five words that are used in the Greek to describe love in these passages. Um, and the agape one is the one that describes God's love to us, the, self, the sacrificing love, the love that we give wholly and committedly to all of us, to all of us around, all those around us. Some of the other words describe love that is erotic in nature. It describes love that is... Uh, to our families, like my wife, or your, your kids, or your relatives. Some of it talks love to humanity, like philanthropia. We've, called, we've heard of philanthropists before. They give a lot of money to different people. And so there's some of the other words that we use to describe love. But this love throughout this passage is all agape. And that's an important word I want you to remember, agape, A-G-A-P-E, because we're going to get back to that in a minute when I contrast the noun and verb usage of Love. So love is a quality of God. It's not something that God does. It's something that embodies everything that God is and everything that God does. So that's kind of the first foundational truth. The second foundational truth is in verses 9 and 10, where it describes how 
Christ came to us as the embodiment of God's love. God was, God's love was made manifest to us through Jesus Christ. We can see that through the, through the New Testament. We experience Christ in our lives, I'm sure, on a daily basis. And then the last foundational truth is because we know that love is God and God is love, and we know that Christ has been manifested to us demonstrating God's love, that we should then, in verses 11 and 12, demonstrate love to one another. You following me on those three things? These are the foundational truths that have been presented to us in these first few verses of this, this passage. Love is a quality of God. God is love. All of his activities are loving. Love has been made manifest to us through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we should love one another. There's a little aside in there where it says no one has seen God. And you might be thinking, well, Moses saw God, right? <laughs> Isn't that, that's not what he's talking about here. John is talking to people like we uh, maybe have some uh, competing philosophies in our religious life today. He's speaking to competing philosophies during that time. You probably heard of this term called the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, Gnostics. At that time, they believed that people could reach a certain um, enlightenment in their religious pursuits that they could then reach a point where they could see God. Okay, so that's what John is saying here is no, that's not true. We cannot see God face to face, but we can see God through other means. So we know that foundational truth. Let's move into verses 13 through 16. It says in verses 13 through 16, it says in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us a spirit. We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to the world, and whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. There's three, four pretty active phrases in there or words in there. First, we know, okay? Because of these foundational truths, we know who Jesus is and we know who God is. We know by the Spirit, and I referenced Romans 8.16 at the bottom of the, the outline there. Romans 8.16 talks about how the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, bears witness with our spirit. The next kind of passage in this says that we see, because we know this foundational truths, we see and testify that the Father has sent his Son to the, be the Savior of the world. And how do we see if John says we don't see God, no one has ever seen God? <laughs> Y'all have read chapter uh, 1 in Romans, I'm sure. That's a common passage that we talk about, about the evidence of God. And out here, uh, outside of the city where I live, which I don't particularly care to live in the city that much, but that's where I live now. But when I come out here, you can see the evidence of God. You can see the creation around us. It's very clear. And so we see by faith. We see by indirect evidence of the things that are around us. And because we can know and see, in verse 14, it also says we testify that the Father has sent. What's testify? Testify means to give witness or to, get, you know, it's, uh, to uh, explain something in a way that other people can understand it. Okay? We we're, were talking earlier this morning, um, before we came into the service, I was talking with some people about how we really want others to see God in us. Okay? And how do we see that? We see that by our testimony. Okay, our testimony oftentimes doesn't involve anything that we say, though, right? 
our testimony involves things that we do the way we act. Um, so by these things, because of the foundational truth that's presented to us in the beginning, that love is God, we know, see, and testify, and then we believe and confess that God abides in us. And I ask you to think about that word abide. That comes up a lot in this passage. And it comes up a lot in the passage in John that we read in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Okay? So what does this word abide mean? It, it means to live permanently, consistently over time. You come to church this morning, you're going to abide in Jesus maybe for 15 minutes if we're lucky. I, half of you probably are not abiding any longer, I can see by the looks in your faces. But, you know, but what I mean is just coming to church on Sunday is not abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, month after month, year after year, to abide, to live permanently. And as we live permanently in Christ and we live permanently in Jesus, we can't help but to receive God's love in our heart. When we receive God's love and his joy and his peace in our heart, everything that we do has love in it. You see where I'm going with this? So love is not a decision that you make. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to love my wife. I wake up every day because I have love. I can't help but love my wife. I can't help but love my neighbor. I can't help but love the person that's driving up my rear end down the street when I'm trying to get where I'm going. Okay, not that that happens out here. But I'm just, you know, when I'm, you see where I'm saying? If you abide in Jesus, abide permanently, continuously, eternally in Jesus, you cannot help but express love to the world. We abide in him, he gives us his love, and we express it to others. So the last thing I want to talk about is these manifestations, verses 17 through 21. Verse 17 starts with, by this, is love by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I said in the outline here, love has been perfected in us so we can act with boldness. We can have confidence because we know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, bearing witness for us up there, testifying for us. And we are fearless we have no fear because the perfect love that we have in our hearts now that we've received from Jesus has cast out the fear in our lives. Because of these things that we've walked through, love has been perfected in us. So we are bold and fearless when our, we have relationships with others. And this is where the you're probably wondering, well, you may not wonder anymore now that we read Zechariah 4, 6. I'm sure not a lot of you had that on the top of your heads, but if you do read something with Zechariah in church, it's probably going to be that passage. Because what Zechariah is hearing is that he's asking, Zerubbabel is asking, how are we going to do this? How is this going to work when we all come back out of exile and go somewhere else and try to set up our lives in a hostile land? And we're living in a hostile land, hostile to Christianity. So how are we going to live? And God says it's not by your might or by your power, 
but by his spirit that we're going to do that. So when we think of that term, love, don't think of it as something that you do. Because when we start thinking of it as something that we do, we wake up in the morning and say, I am going to love that person today. At the end of the day, you've loved them to your satisfaction. What does that lead to? That leads to pride. If you wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to love that person, and you don't love them to your satisfaction, what's that lead to? That leads to despair. So anytime we put an action on it and say that it's determined by what we do, we're always going to fail or we're going to succeed that's going to cause us to be prideful. But if we live within God's love every day of our lives and live as that of our baseline, we can never fail in what we're doing because all of our activities are imbued with God's love. And that's why I wanted to go back to this word agape. We're all familiar with agape. I know we we hear it over and over in church. But what I think is so troublesome about the English language is we only have one word, love, to describe not just the noun form, but also the verb form of this activity that Greek has a minimum of five words to describe. And when it uses those words, it adds things at the end of them. So, for example, if we're talking about loving someone, I'm going to show love to someone. The word is not agape, it's agapeo. We add something to the end of it. So when you're reading it, as a Greek person reading the Bible or hearing it, you're constantly reminded that the activity that I'm doing has love in it. Okay? So I think that's a problem with the English language. So I would ask us, when we're using the word love, as in I love pizza, or I love this person, ask ourselves, is that really the best way to use that? I've kind of changed the way I think sometimes when I'm thinking about things. When I'm going to go drive, when I was driving down here, and my wife will testify that I don't always uh, follow this rule, (laughs) but when I'm driving down here, I'm thinking I'm going to drive to this church in Washington County. This is Washington County right here. Okay, Washington County um, with love. I'm going to drive down here with love. That change the way that I that I look at it. I'm going to drive to the store with love. I'm going to wait in the drive-through line at McDonald's with love. No one loves waiting in a drive-through line at McDonald's, but if you wait in a drive-through line with love, it changes the way you act. So I ask the question at the end here: How can love be mischaracterized in the church? And I may be bold in saying this, I would say it's when we use it as a verb. When we use love as a verb, I think we're using it the wrong way. Love is a noun. God is love. Love should permeate all of our activities. Love is not something that we do. Love is something that we are. When we become love, because he says, as he was in this world, so will we be. When we become love in this world... We can't help but love those around us. So my charge to you this week is that you look at love in a slightly different way. Don't wake up thinking that you're going to love to your fullest extent today. I guarantee you're going to fail. But if you approach each day, I'm going to wake up and let the love of God permeate me Let love, the noun, be who I am. You can't fail. Let's go out 
and love the world. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the love that you instilled in all of us through your son, Jesus Christ. May the love that he represents be fulfilled in our lives and be a light to those around us. Let us not attempt to love under our own strength or our own power, but love only through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.